Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. In the fall of 2003, we were about 13 years into the planting of this church called Northgate. And um, it had been quite a ride. Uh, We had started with about 12 adults in my living room. And uh, I finally had our public launch when we moved into the the old uh, post office downtown, and we kind of outgrew that space and, and, and moved into a warehouse on the other side of the freeway over here. Um, started doing multiple services, two services, three services, four services every weekend. Um, we had gotten a piece of property right here. We were in the process of trying to raise the funds and go through all the planning commission and the city council and the county supervisors and back to the city. It was just a long, drawn-out process. And in the fall of 2003, I hit a wall. Now, for 13 years, um, all of the challenges that we had faced of starting a church and being bivocational, working construction part-time, pastoring part-time, seeing a church grow, um, building project after building project, new people, new believers, young believers, developing ministries, all of that went on for about uh, 13 years. And, And at each challenge... Um, and we just experienced some incredible miracles of God. It can only be described in that way. But for me personally, what happened in my own life and in my own spirit and my own emotions that every time we faced up to a challenge, it was kind of like dig deep into those, um, those emotional reserves, kind of suck it up and power on through. And every challenge was the same thing. And what happened was in the fall of 2003, I was exhausted. I was spent, and I crashed big time. I hit a wall, and it totally wiped me out. And my doctor said to me at that time, and he knew me quite well, he said, Ken, for the last 13 years of this church, you have been running on adrenaline. And every new challenge has just been sucking it up and pulling out on that adrenaline reserves and all of that. And what happens is your body was not designed by God to run on adrenaline. That's only for emergencies. You have been living in crisis mode for 13 years and your body has said, no more. And it so hit me and so devastated me that I sunk into a a deep clinical depression. Had to take an emergency sabbatical, just some time off from pastoring because all of those building projects and all those challenges and just the day-to-day leading of a church and preaching just about every weekend four times just totally drained me. And it was in that season of my life that this passage of Scripture, a very familiar one to pretty much all of us here, I'm sure, became more alive to me than ever before. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint 
my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That passage came so alive to me because that passage, I think more than any, in my opinion, more than any other passage of Scripture, speaks to emotional health and emotional margin. And today we're continuing in our series on margin, and I want to talk about emotional margin because with the pace of a life that we talked about last week, with our drive for more, with all that's going on, what happens is that our, our, our emotions become depleted. When we are strained and pushing the envelope and up to the limit, we are draining ourselves emotionally. And this passage, I think, speaks to emotional health and emotional margin more than any other. And so we're going to kind of unpack it a little bit this, this morning and take a look at it because I think there's some keen insights in here for you and for me about emotional margin. Now, here's a danger because the Psalms, Athanasius, one of the early church fathers wrote this. He said, the, all of scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. And if you read through the Psalms, they are filled with emotion. There's something about David and his life and his experiences that he somehow remained emotionally healthy through all of it. And I think the emotions of the Psalm speak to that. And, and, and sometimes when we go through a passage of Scripture, we kind of take it apart and analyze it. And it's a little more didactic and teaching and, 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 um, and, and, and analytical. And I, and I don't want that to overpower just the emotional power of this psalm. So I want you to follow along with me, but, but not just as an exercise in you know, understanding, but more as an exercise in feeling, because that's what this is really all about. So today we're going to talk about emotional margin, and I think it starts with this. This is one of the things David says. It starts with cultivating a sense of contentment. Contentment is absolutely essential for emotional margin. This is the way David starts the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You might want to circle that, those four words in your Bible or highlight them in your, your app or wherever you're writing, wherever you're taking notes. Though I shall not want. That is a picture of contentment. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Contentment, contentment is an attitude of surrender. It is an attitude of trust. In week one of this series, I asked you this question. It's a question you need to ask yourself on a regular basis. I need to ask myself, what is it that drives you to live a marginless life? Whatever that driver is for you, that is the thing that pushes you beyond your limits. It might be for achievement. It might be for recognition. It might be about amassing stuff. It might be whatever it is. Whatever it is that drives you, contentment makes you dial it back. That pace of life, that push for more, that driver that keeps you moving forward and pushing the limits... Contentment says, enough, it's enough, I shall not want. See, your emotions, 
they are kind of like the dashboard of your car. You have a dashboard on your car, and it's got gauges, and it's got lights, and all of it is intended to tell you what's going on under the hood. And when the lights start flashing, you know, or the gauge starts running, and the red line, or whatever it might be, the gas tank goes down to E, whatever it is, it's telling you something needs attention. When you are pushing the limits, when you are on overload, it affects you emotionally. It drains your emotions. And one of the great tells of something wrong in your life or in the pace of your life or some area of your life is your emotional responses. It's how God wired you. And if you find, here's some of the, here are some of the things. If you find yourself constantly worried and anxious, just anxiety feelings, or, or maybe um, easily irritable, angry all the time, little things set you off. Or, or maybe, maybe sometimes it's just a complete apathy where you just kind of shut down emotionally and you don't care about anything. You don't feel anything. Or worse, slipping into a depression of some kind. See, those emotions are there to tell you you are running on overload. There is something wrong and you got to stop and take a look under the hood. And one of the biggest drains on us emotionally is stress. And the stress is caused by that driver in you and in me. David said, it's time to step back and pause and say, enough. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. See, the primary job of a shepherd is to provide for the needs of the sheep. And sheep are totally helpless animals. They cannot exist without a shepherd. They will kill themselves. Because there's a couple of things about sheep. He says, he leaves me beside quiet waters. Well, I learned a little bit about sheep this week as I was preparing for this. Sheep are easily agitated. <laughs> they will not drink from a rushing stream, from a rushing river, okay? They need a nice little quiet cove. And, and a shepherd will sometimes have to kind of dam up a little corner so that the water would be still so the sheep will drink part of how he cares for them. The other thing I found out about sheep is um, Warren Gill, who's professor of uh, animal science at the University of Tennessee, he writes about him. He says, animal, uh, sheep are pretty much a stomach on four legs. <laughs> All they do is eat. They spend the vast majority of their time of their day eating. And if you are not careful, sheep will eat themselves to death. They will eat more than their body can handle. It will upset the balance of their, of their whole system, and they will actually kill themselves by eating too much. Part of the job of the shepherd is to make sure that they have enough. Part of the job is to make sure they don't have too much. Does that sound familiar at all? Do those drivers, that too much, that's what we live on. That's what causes us to live marginless lives. And this idea of contentment is to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's enough enough. Contentment is not the same thing as complacency. It's not a fatalistic. It's just simply a confidence in the goodness of God. And, and, and I put it kind of like this, that God will provide me enough of what I need. And whatever it is that God provides me, that will be enough. Psalm 100 Verse 3 says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Contentment is the trust that what God gives me will be enough. 
Secondly, for emotional health and emotional margin, you need to develop a confident faith. That's the next section of this. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, sometimes life is not just about contentment because sometimes we have these things called crises, okay? Emergencies, things that hit us out of the blue, things that we were not, were not prepared for. And sometimes they sap up all of our emotional reserves if we have any. And then we need a source that's beyond ourselves. And that confident faith is to say, even in the crisis, God is with me. See, that's what he's talking about, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It might be a major health issue. It might be a family emergency. It might be a financial strain. It might be you know, just the pace of your life. But, but somehow something comes up that's out of the ordinary. And that crisis is where you have to have, have, to have that confident faith that though I am depleted, there is a God who is watching over me. And he will protect me. Because see, here's, here's where the shepherd becomes more than the provider. He becomes the protector. And David knew that. It's not really clear where in David's life he wrote this particular psalm. But if you know anything about the life of David, he had tons of ups and downs, peaks and valleys, all kinds of crises throughout his life, times of calm. And, and, and he experienced all of life. I'm not sure exactly where in his life he wrote this psalm. We do know some things about him. He started out the first part of his life as a shepherd. He was the youngest in his family, youngest of seven boys, I think it was. And, um, and his job as the youngest was to take care of the sheep. So he learned an awful lot about sheep through that. He also was a poet and, 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 a, and a songwriter as well. And, and there was a point in his life where um, Samuel, the prophet, came to his father's house and said, God has sent me to anoint the next king of Israel. And so he kind of went down one son after the next, starting with the oldest all the way down, got all the way down to the bottom. He says, you got any more? <laughs> and he said, well, yeah, I've got one more. He's out with the sheep. So they sent for David, brought him in. God spoke to Samuel, the prophet, and said, this is the man. He anointed him to be the next king of Israel. Problem was, Israel already had a king. His name was Saul. Saul was not particularly at a point where he was willing to give up the throne, which meant that David spent the next section of his life on the run for his life. And he was chased, and he had a small group of followers that, that went with him, but he was chased, and his life was in danger on many, many occasions. Well, eventually Saul died, David became king, and there was a whole new set of problems that came with that. You ought, you ought to read your Bible. There's some really cool stuff in there, okay? Now I don't have time to tell you the whole story of David, but suffice it to say, he knew crises. He knew the ups and the downs. He knew the, the highs and the lows. He went through all of those, and when he writes about this valley of the shadow of death, he's writing from his experience. And you will encounter crises. You will encounter emergencies. And if you don't have those emotional reserves because of contentment, you're going to be all the way over at the edge. You're going to need something beyond yourself. And that's where God becomes your provider. And there's something very interesting in the psalm. I don't know if you noticed it. But in the first part of the psalm, he speaks of God in the third person. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And then you get to the dark valley, and all of a sudden, it changes from third person to second person. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. There is something about dark valleys 
that changes our relationship with God. The truths that he spoke about, he, 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 were certainly true, but the dark valley made it personal. There's the thing I've discovered in my own life. Those crises, those dark valleys change your relationship with God. And if you are open to it and have that confident faith, becomes much less of a he and much more of a you. I spent uh, last week, I had a few days I spent together with a, a life coach, a ministry coach, and just kind of you know where I'm at in this season of my life and ministry and what the next season might look like and all of that kind of stuff. And one of the things, it was like 17 grueling hours of introspection. I do not recommend it. <laughs> now, it's actually quite good. But one of the things he had me do was to go through my life and identify major turning points in my life. And then to kind of give them a rating on a scale of 1 to 10, whether they were a positive or a negative. And then we kind of graphed out my life. And it was about probably about 13, 14 different turning points that just fundamentally changed my life. And then we grafted out, and there were highs, and there were lows, and there were mids, and there was all that kind of stuff. And what I came away with, one of the big things, and it was one of the things I knew already kind of in the back of my mind, but it just became that much more apparent to me, that God has done some of his deepest work in my life in some of the darkest moments. And that emotional replenishment and restoring is what God does when we come to the end. And so for emotional margin, you need to have that confident faith that no matter what you're going through, and you may not understand it, and it may not make sense to you right now, you still know that God hasn't given up on you, that he has not abandoned you. David, um, Jesus took up this idea of, of, of shepherding, and, and he talked about it to his disciples. He said these words, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, if you ever doubt God's heart to you, if you ever doubt what God thinks of you, look at the cross because that's where he laid down his life for you. So you need never doubt his heart to you. Third one, practice gratitude. Next section, David goes on. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. See, your life is going to be filled with this mixture of highs and lows, peaks and valleys. Okay? And what happens is emotionally, we tend to dwell on the valleys. We tend to dwell emotionally on the problems. We tend to get stuck there, and it kind of gets this downward spiral. What gratitude does is gratitude changes our focus from the valleys and the problems and the difficulties and helps us remember who God is and how faithful he has been. See, that's what David's doing here. He is recounting God's faithfulness. You, you, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my, my cup overflows. What are you saying is, God, you have been faithful and you continue to be faithful over and over and over again. Rick Swenson, who actually wrote a book called Margin, it's been kind of a, uh, kind of a basis for this whole series. He talks about one of these ideas. He says, get yourself a stack of three by five cards as an exercise. And then on one per card, Write down one thing that you are grateful for. Just one on one card. Turn it over. Take another card. Something else you are grateful for. 
and turn it over and start another card. And on each card, one more thing that you are grateful for. He said, you will find it will take a long time. If you're seriously uh, approaching this, you will find it's a long time before you run out of cards. Actually, you'll run out of cards before you run out of reason to be grateful. There is something about gratitude that takes our eyes off the problem and focuses on God's faithfulness. See, that's really what gratitude is all about. It's remembering how good God is. And what it does is it brings a greater sense of joy. It's replenishing. We've actually done some science on this, and they found that all kinds of emotional and health benefits from just having a grateful heart, an attitude of gratitude. It improves your physical health. It improves your psychological health. It enhances empathy. It reduces aggression. They have found that grateful people sleep better. So the next time you wake up at 2 in the morning and can't get back to sleep, just take some time and say, thank you, God, for this and for that, and just go down your list, you know, pull out your cards, whatever it might be. But it helps you sleep better. It improves self-esteem. It increases mental strength. What it is is simply reminding me how good God is. Again, the words of Jesus. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And that, by the way, is one of the great values of our worship gatherings together. When we come together and we sing of the goodness of God and we remind ourselves of how faithful he's been, when we sing, there are some songs that we sing around here that just renew me. When we sing together, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That replenishes, reminds me of God's goodness. And it brings joy to your soul. It brings renewal to your emotions. And here's another one. I'll just kind of throw this one in here. Just laugh. Just practice. Have a good belly laugh every once in a while. And if you have a hard time finding things to laugh at, I actually brought a sample for you today. Watch this one. So if you have trouble finding something to laugh at, if you go to YouTube and just look up baby laughing, you'll have hours of this kind of stuff, okay? We need to laugh. There is something about it that, that's renewing and replenishing. They've actually done some research on this. It says at, at, at four months old average, on average, a four-month-old laughs at least once per hour. That a four-year-old, a four-year-old will laugh on an average once every four minutes. For an adult, we're lucky if we laugh 15 times a day. We lose that sense of laughter, lose that sense of joy. The last one, nurture a steadfast hope. This is how David ends it. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
See, hope is simply this. Hope is envisioning a better future. That no matter where you are right now, no matter what you might be facing right now, hope says there is something better ahead. Lewis Smedes, who's a Christian psychologist, wrote one, it is that hope is our most precious energy source. He says, God has given us the gift of hope to keep us going on an uncertain journey. There is nothing more important to the, than the, to the success of our journey to a future that we cannot control than that we keep our hope alive. Because the truth is, none of us here know what our future looks like. We really don't. But we do know the one who does. And hope says that God is in control. That I've surrendered to him. And as uncertain as this situation looks right now, as hopeless as it might seem right now, God is still in control. And I can trust him. My wife and I have a saying uh, when we've gone through some of those kind of dark valley periods or seasons in our life, and, um, and it's not a, original with us. We just look at each other and say, this too shall pass. <laughs> it seems hopeless. It seems like it's never going to end, but this too shall pass. It's only temporary. It's only temporary. God is eternal. See, trusting in his goodness is what gave David hope. It's trusting really in the character of God. Jesus put it this way. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Another sentence that I learned through one of those dark periods in my life was this. Knowing what I do know about God, can I trust him for what I don't? Knowing what I do know about him, can I trust him right now when I don't understand? Again, Lewis Smedes, and I'll close with this. He says, the most important thing we ever hope for from God is God himself. Hope that he will be with us in our troubles. Not necessarily for him to take our troubles away, but to always be there. Under us to hold us up. Ahead of us to lead the way. Behind us to push us along. Over us to keep an eye on us. And in us to keep alive our hopes of getting beyond our troubles. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here today and you find yourself emotionally drained, stretched beyond the limits, straining and overwhelmed, and it might be a financial situation, it might be a health issue, it might be a relationship issue, it might be the pace of your life, it might be something you brought on yourself, or it might be something that's just hit you from out of the blue, but it doesn't matter what it is or how it got here, you find yourself today drained and spent and exhausted and emotionally done. I want you to hear these words. The Lord is your shepherd. You need not be in want. 
He makes you lie down in green pastures. He will lead you beside quiet waters. He will restore your soul. He will lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you need not fear any evil, for he is with you. His rod, his staff can comfort you. He'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He will anoint your head with oil. He will make your cup overflow. Surely his goodness, his mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You will dwell in his house forever. Let that wash over you. Let it speak to your soul. Let that truth sink down deep and bring renewal. And if you find yourself at that point today just emotionally stretched to the limit, I would love the chance to pray for you. As we close, if I could pray for you in your situation right now, would you just raise your hand, hold it up for a moment and acknowledge you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep, yes, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe you're here, because really what this is all about is trust. It's, it's, it's putting your faith and your trust fully on him. That's why Jesus went to the cross. To take that weight off of you, the weight of your guilt, the weight of your shame, the weight of your mistakes, the weight of your struggles, and to let you put it on him. That's what really faith is all about. It's transferring your trust off of you and onto him. And if you've never done that, you can take a first step of faith today. And it's just simply acknowledging your need, asking for his forgiveness, and putting your trust in him. And if you've never done that, but today it's a first step of faith, maybe you already raised your hand, but, but this is to say, no, this is, the, this is for real. This is the first time I've ever done this. Same thing, would you just raise your hand one more time, or maybe for the first time, hold it up. Let me catch your eye. Pray with you as we close. So Lord, here we are. With our struggles, our pain, our dark valleys, our guilt, our shame, our mistakes, our failures, the drive that keeps pushing us beyond our limits. God, we just bring it all to you. And in these moments, we're letting go. Now, the temptation is going to be to get up tomorrow morning, to pick it back up and to run with it all over again. But in this moment, I pray that you would give us the grace to let go and to leave it with you. And this week, as we want to pick it back up and run with it some more, would you just remind us to be content, to trust you, to be grateful for what you've done, and to wait in hope on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.